Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. We made it. Later this week, major American team sports finally returns. Baseball is back. Fantasy Baseball Today, the best fantasy baseball podcast on the internet, is the place to be in advance of Garrett Cole and the Yankees facing off against the World Series champs, Washington Nationals. That'll be Thursday night. So be sure to subscribe and tune in. Scott White, Chris Towers, Adam Azer, and Frank Stample are getting you ready for the 60-game sprint as well as everything you need to know with your Week 1 Fantasy Baseball matchups. You can find Fantasy Baseball today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to enjoy your podcasts. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Monday, July 20th, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and today was a significant day in the sport because Philip Petrusheva projected first-team All-American, the reigning West Coast Conference Player of the Year, announced he's going to play professional basketball in Serbia rather than for Gonzaga next season. It's a blow to the Zags, I think, but not one I think they can't overcome. Evidence being that I decided, after thinking about it for maybe 11 or 12 minutes, I decided to keep Gonzaga number one in the CBS Sports Top 25 and one that's version 20.0 if you're keeping track. I know our buddy Sam Vecini agrees with what I did. I saw his tweet, but we never let him talk on this podcast. So let me ask you, Norlander, am I crazy or brilliant or something in between for keeping the Zags number one in the top 25 and one, even after the loss of Philip Petrucci? Yeah, maybe we'll let Sam get a word in here before the podcast is over. Uh, you're neither crazy nor brilliant. I do disagree with you. I think I'd bump them a little bit for as a reminder with viewer viewers with listeners. Viewers eventually coming later this year on the podcast, but listeners, he's got GP's got Gonzaga one, Baylor two, Villanova three, Virginia four, Iowa five. Uh, this is a fascinating decision in that Petrushev. A player of his caliber, an almost certain preseason All-American had he returned, a player of that caliber leaving a team slotted to be first or second in the country, depending on your viewpoint, like that kind of player leaving a team, GP, nine out of ten times, if not more frequently than that, you're bumping a team down. You didn't in this case. I think I would just because I want to see... I just want to see the other pieces, if and when we can get to a season, how they fill in. Now, Petrushev, you know, he wasn't some absolute do-it-all kind of player. Um, but I think I might slot the Zags second or third, maybe fourth. If I, I didn't really, you know, totally sort it out there. But we Who would do you have, have number one right now? I, I think I like Villanova the most. Even without Sadiq Bey, I think I like Villanova more than any other team. Because Sadiq Bey is the only guy of any kind of consequence that Nova loses for next season. So I would go Nova 1. If you told me, and I I think Baylor expects Macy Oteague and Jared Butler to return, I think I'd go Baylor 2 and then Gonzaga 3. I think that's what I would do now. Now, if you told me Petrushev was there, I actually think he's good enough. Hmm, I might have still had Nova 1, but he was definitely good enough to have Gonzaga number 2 uh, at the very worst. 
Yeah, I I consider dropping them. Like this isn't one of those where I'm going to continue to have Gonzaga number one, and I think you're crazy if you don't. Like I understand. I I guess what it came down to me was because you're exactly right. Normally, team projected to be number one in the country loses its best player, particularly this late in the process. You go okay. Uh, well, they drop. Now let's figure out how far. But when I started looking at it, I was like, okay, who do I like better? Gonzaga's current roster, even without Petrushev, or Baylor? And I think I like Gonzaga's better than Baylor, although I'm mm. a massive Baylor fan. I understand the argument for Villanova. Like, it's easy. They Big East champs. They only lose one player. They've got an incredible track record of consistent winning. Do you realize if, if Villanova wins – the NCAA tournament in 2021, provided we have one, um, which, by the way, is a very realistic thing. Not that we will have one. I do think that'll happen. But realistic thing that Villanova could win it. Right. In the preseason top five with everybody. There'll be three titles for Jay Wright in, a fi- in five NCAA tournaments. Six yeah. years, five tournaments. Like, nobody has – first off, only six people have ever won th- at least three titles. Nobody's ever won three in a six-year span other than John Wooden. And, like, Jay Wright's got a realistic chance to do that. So I understand people arguing for Villanova. Like, if you've got Villanova ranked number one, that's sensible. You might end up looking real smart come late March, early April. But I, I honestly think Gonzaga is going to be great, win another 30 games for the fifth consecutive year, even without Philip Petrushev. And that says more about what I think of Gonzaga's incoming players, what Gonzaga returns, Mark Few's program – than it says about anything else. I, I just I don't see a scenario where Gonzaga's not great. Okay, so the one thing I wanted to talk about on the podcast was what you kind of alluded to there. I want to uh, merge a couple of talking points here. Mark Few's program and what he has here, and then did you see what Petrushev's agent told Jonathan Gavoni of Draft Express? Did you see that quote that uh, popped up? It didn't get a lot of run, but I wonder if you came across it. I did not. I, okay, I'm going to read this as, right here. As you know, we talked off the air. Yeah. I've had workers yeah. working at my house all day. Yeah. Then I went straight to rail. I've been juggling a lot of things. I, I, I read everything Jonathan then publishes. I haven't seen that yeah. yet. All right, he just sent out a tweet. Here's what the tweet says, uh, the quote from the agent. Um, it says, as the agent of Philip Petrushev, I can say that it is his ultimate goal is to be drafted and play in the NBA. It was a tough decision, but at the end he understood that in the last six years – uh, Mega, the organization uh, in his home country of Serbia. Uh, That's a little too close to something else. <laughs> what? Oh, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah, I hear you. Uh, has had 10 players drafted compared with Gonzaga's five, as well as twice as many players participating in all-star games. This is in the last six years. It means that Mega's path to the NBA looks more realistic, especially for big guys like Nikola Jokic, uh, Ivica Zubac, Goga Batazzi, and it was a key moment for leaving the school and going pro, exclamation point. A couple of things here. One, uh, that's a shot at Gonzaga and Mark Few's program that isn't really totally warranted because as we talk about what Gonzaga should be, how we project it to be for next season and kind of keeping this program kind of you know, almost universally a top five uh, team, I think, throughout college basketball media, the one thing that you can say about Gonzaga and its program and Mark Few is that the bigs almost always live up to the hype. I mean, I remember when Shemek Karnowski got to campus and there was a whole bunch of hype for this, you know, humongous human being that Gonzaga had been recruiting successfully and kind of knew about before anyone else. 
And while he had injuries that kind of set him back, he was an absolute beast while he was there. And he's not the only one. I mean, Killian Tilly was hyped. And I would say, again, if not for injury, he lived up to it there. Brandon Clark is a transfer absolutely matched, if not exceeded, a considerable amount of hype when he was there. And even Zach Norvell, who was fairly highly recruited, wasn't like seen as this absolute one-and-done kind of talent. He became that kind of player immediately. And even Domus Sabonis, I mean, bloodlines within the NBA and his dad being one of the best uh, pro players really globally in that sense ever. I think Sabonis lived up to it too as well. So I don't think the shot there was entirely warranted. And frankly, you know, Petrushev was a really, really good college player. And I don't fault him for making this kind of decision, GP. Uh, but intel that I've received, I mean, his dad kind of was running a lot of this, not convinced that it wasn't more his dad's decision than it is. Now, he has to take full responsibility. I get that. But uh, my impression was that his father, you know, he was living with his father in Spokane, uh, in or near campus all the way until June. He only got to go back home to Serbia in the past three and a half weeks. Um, so there's a little bit of the politicking there. He's trying to chase some money. He doesn't know uncertainty with coronavirus and this COVID situation, which is totally understandable. But Petrushev is not, I can't see how he's going to be drafted. I mean, he definitely has major, still major concerns uh, this is what I got kind of from scouts in the past couple of months. Like ball screen defense, uh, extremely bad. Uh, rim protection could certainly improve. And then he was trying to try and prove that he was going to be able to step out and shoot more and wanted to be that kind of role in the offense if he was going to stay, and that wasn't going to happen. So um, it's an interesting decision. It took the staff – oh, one more thing, by the way, I was told by a source. It took the staff by surprise. Like, he wasn't on campus. Gonzaga started some workouts on campus Monday, which is when the first day the NCAA was allowing all of that. And all the players are there except Petrushev. But, so they thought maybe it was going to go this way, but they didn't know for sure. And then the staff found out the way you and I found out through a Eurohoops.net Twitter feed relaying a report – from overseas in a separate language that said, oh, by the way, he has signed a contract. He's going to play overseas. Um, so not the cleanest exit, if you will, there. So a little bit of a of a mess there overall. But, um, yeah, there was, a, I think, a little more drama behind this whole thing, GP, than we expected, considering uh, when you looked at his role last year. I mean, this is, a again, a very high-profile player who's not going to be a preseason All-American anymore. Yeah, it seems like uh, the quote from the agent, is not only unnecessary, but but misguided. Like, okay, you can point out that in the past six years, Gonzaga's had, what did he say, um, five oh, players drafted? Yeah, five co com compared to um, Mega, Mega Bamax's 10 in the past six years, yes. Okay, well, they, you know, they, they draw the line right in front of Kelly Olenek, who was right. a lottery pick in 2013. Robert Sacre was the year before that. Austin Day was, you know, back in 2009, Adam Morrison, top five pick. Right. Here's, here's what I would ask you, and I ask this from a sincere place. Okay, Gonzaga's had five players drafted in the past six years. Okay. How many players looked like draftable NBA prospects the day they enrolled at Gonzaga? The number's less than five. It's definitely less than five. I mean, and and just as a quick example, like Rui Hachimura and what he became when he was at Gonzaga versus when he got there, unquestionably. Even Zach Collins as well. Like Zach Collins is the kind of 
turnaround story that you might see like at a surprise at like a power conference school or a blue blood or top 15 type. No, he became a factor the final six weeks of that season when Gonzaga lost to Carolina in the title game. And then he became a lottery pick. If you really look at that GP, um, Gonzaga's had, I'm riffing off the top of my head, but I want to say in the past decade, Gonzaga's had six, maybe seven guys go in the top. I think it's six go in the top 20. So yeah, it was just, it, it seemed like the agent was trying to justify the decision and then unnecessarily, it just, it, it didn't track for me. It's That's not, exactly right. Sometimes in life, people decide they want to do something. Then you try to rationalize it. And I'm not saying that Philip is making a mistake. I'm just saying that whether he's, ends up in the NBA or not, got nothing to do with whether he's at Gonzaga or not. You know, like the idea that he needed to do this to give himself a better chance to get into the NBA, I don't buy that for a second. I completely agree with you. And now him by him leaving, just to kind of circle back to what you were saying, you know, I've been in on Drew Timmy since I saw him uh, play in Vegas. I did a story on him because at one point, Drew Timmy was this highly recruited five-star level kind of player who – uh, GP, no exaggeration, the July heading into his senior year, he had like 30 to 35 schools still interested in him because he was just not tipping his hand whatsoever. And while sometimes schools and coaches can see through that BS, that just wasn't the case with Timmy. And eventually he goes and plays with Gonzaga, and he had a nice little freshman year. He should be stepping up and having – we did a piece last Friday on our best picks for breakout players. Uh, do go and check that out. I won't spoil too much. Um, but after the fact, I thought, you know, if I could have picked someone else, I might have picked Timmy. If I knew what I know now, Timmy would have been my pick. He's right. he, he is – this is an automatic. I mean, he was like a nine – Petrushev was like a 17-8 and eight or 17-9 and nine guy last season. Timmy, I think, will have – probably will have better numbers than that next season. So that's why Gonzaga's got a chance. And then also, in keeping in line what we mentioned with how they've been able to produce bigs reliably, not just him, I don't, uh, apologies, I don't know how to, for sure to pronounce this first man's, uh, this young man's first name, but Umar Balo. He, that's, that's right. Okay, I, he, lo- I looked it up before he, we started. <laughs> Umar Balo, uh, he is getting, I mean, he's got redshirt freshman, originally from Mali, rave reviews to the point where like he might be the kind of guy who's the first off the bench let's just go hypothetical here but like first off the bench in November and then we look up by the end of January and he has also inserted himself inside that starting lineup right alongside Timmy so I would not be surprised at all if Gonzaga wound up eventually living up to your preseason prophecy if you will GP because again like it is proving to be among the three or four greatest, you know, kind of right there with like Carolina, uh, historically speaking, under Roy, uh, reliable big men landing spots along the lines of Kentucky is Gonzaga. So I, I think the Petrushev departure means something, but just look at the past 20 years under few. I'm not going to doubt them and say that this is no longer a team that can make a final four. It absolutely still can. And I'm interested to see if those pieces, those guys can step in and produce immediately after Petrushev's left. One last thing on Gonzaga draft picks. Um, you can draw it the, the line at six years and say they've only had five players drafted in the past six years. Fine. How about we draw it at three years? The, the last three years, they have had three top 25 picks. Um, Zach Collins picked 10th. Rui Hachimura picked ninth. Brandon Clark picked 21st. But if you did that draft over tonight, he'd also go in the top 10. I mean, so, they, so really they've they, – they, yeah. I'm not going to try to exaggerate it. They haven't had three top 10 picks, but you know what I'm saying. They've had two top 10 picks and a guy who would be picked in the top 10 if you redid it um, in the past three years. So again, uh, Gonzaga is taking consistently taking players that aren't projected as first round picks and making them first round picks. Um, In some cases, way more quickly 
than anybody could have anticipated. Nobody in the NBA was talking about Brandon Clark <laughs> in October of 2018. Right. And then he, you know, becomes a, the 21st pick and now he's a rotation player, important piece on a playoff team uh, with the Grizzlies. Like he and John Morant are, you know, with, along with Jaron Jackson Jr. and Justice Winslow, the future of that franchise. But Brandon Clark is very much a part of it. So again, the shot about lack of draft picks, um, I find that misguided. Um, as for this particular team, obviously Corey Kispert still has to withdraw from the NBA draft. Joey Ayayi needs to withdraw from the NBA draft. Not needs to. I'm not telling anybody what they need to do. But like for Gonzaga to be preseason number it one, must happen. Yeah, yeah. Like it would, it would. That probably needs to happen. They got to get both those guys back. If they get both those guys back, they're returning two double digit scores again from a 31 and two team. They'll have four players who averaged at least 14 minutes per game last season on that 31 and two team. The top 15 recruiting class features Jalen Suggs and two other. Um, top 100 players, Suggs being a five-star guard. And then you mentioned Umar Balo, who is a top 80 guy from the class of 2019, red-shirted last season. Timmy is the guy who you're exactly right. If we were asked that same question we answered last Friday right now, breakout player in the 2020-21 season, I would go with Timmy. He could easily go from off-the-bench guy who played 20 minutes to West Coast Conference player of the year. Like, that won't surprise me. And it's yeah. why people – like both these things can be true. Petrusha was going to be a preseason first team All-American. Like we had him second team All-American last season. Yep. Um, he and Luca Garza were the only first or second team guys we had who were set to come back to school as of yesterday. Now Garza is the only one. So Petrusha would have been a first team All-American. He would have been awesome. But like everybody I talked to thinks that Timmy has a chance to be just as awesome. Like he had 17 in the last game of the season, last season, which was that win in the WCC tournament over St. Mary's. And so I, I guess I'd bottom line it this way. I remember last se- heading into last season when I talked to people connected to the Gonzaga program, they were really skeptical of what that team was going to look like. It was all – a lot of it was new. And they were like, you know, we'll see. But, like, I had them preseason top ten, and they – I didn't – I – when I talked to Mark Few last summer, he was like, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. You know, like, you know, this, this, we lost a lot. When I talk to people connected to the Gonzaga program right now, even after Petrusha left, they, they I, I don't hear any skepticism. I know. Like they, re- they really do think they're going to be really good again. And I, I think that's interesting. Again, heading into last season, the people connected to the program I speak with were skeptical and that team went 31 and two. And there is no skepticism among that coaching staff right now. They think they're going to be good. My last thoughts on this. I expect Corey Kispert and Joel Ayayi to both return. My understanding is that the reason why those decisions haven't been made yet is they just want to be, they want to extend it further because they can and make sure this isn't going to happen, but just make sure they don't get to, you know, the day before the deadline to discover that the chances of a college basketball season are completely out the window. I think it's just COVID-related. That's basically why sure. they haven't made the decisions yet. I think they'll – Ayayi almost definitely. Kispert, I think, as well. Uh, Kispert, I think, is going to earn an NBA paycheck one day. It's just a matter of what he wants to do and, and all, all of that that's going to come with it. And then Drew Timmy. I mean, I remember when he committed. I said it then. Um, 
and we will talk about him plenty. I said by the time Drew Timmy is a junior at Gonzaga, if he makes it that long, he will be a top 10 player in college basketball. I do believe that will be the case. He's going to be a sophomore next season. He'll be really, really good. And then if he indeed stays one more season, if he stays for that junior season, he will have a very good chance. He's got better He's got better hands. He's got better awareness. And I think on the whole, just a little bit more well-rounded of a teammate than Petrushev. And I know Gonzaga fans that are listening to this are not surprised or uh, shocked by this, but they're very eager to see him. Among many other really good pieces there, see how Jalen Suggs fits in as well. So Gonzaga is still uh, plenty well-suited, which is not, again, it's we're talking about Gonzaga with all this. And this is a this is really a comment uh, and commentary on the program. When we talk about a player of the amount of importance that Petrushev was leaving the program and the and the and the, the team not falling off, you kind of took away the names and said, okay, who are we talking about? Almost exclusively, like, okay, well, this only really applies to Kentucky and Duke on an annual or almost annual basis, and now it applies to Gonzaga in this particular year. Uh, Timmy, to get some specific averages, last season. 9.8 points, 5.4 rebounds in 20.5 minutes per game. You bump that up to 30 minutes per game at the same rate. I mean, you're looking at a guy who's averaging what, 15 and eight. Yeah, I mean, that's that's all league stuff. That's easily. maybe player yeah. of your stuff. Yeah. Easily. So uh, Gonzaga's still going to be good. I, I I'd feel more confident that they're the favorite to win the 2021 tournament if Petrusia was a part of it. But I think they can win it without Petrusia being a part of it. Um, that speaks to the the talent within the program. And, you know, the, the, the level at which that program has been operating consistently for a long, long time now. Let's move on. Baylor got a commitment from another class of 2021 standout on Monday. We're going to get into that next. But first, check this out. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So Baylor got a commitment from another class of 2021 standout on Monday. His name's Kendall Brown, 6'8 wing at Sunrise Christian in Wichita. He committed to the Bears' five-star prospect. He's number 14 in the class of 2021, according to 24-7 Sports. He's the first five-star recruit to commit to Baylor since trivia time. Isaiah Austin. In 2012. You're exactly right. I knew it. I knew it in particular because... When I went down to, and this does, GP, this feels like two years ago. I'm not even saying it for hyperbole. When I went to cover that Kansas-Baylor game, which was in February, uh, blows my mind, um, got to talking to Scott Drew, and uh, I had asked him that very thing. Like, you know, you're doing this. When was the last time you had a five-star? He's like, it was when we got Isaiah Austin. So it's kind of been uh, in my mind ever since. But, yeah, it's been. So we're looking at, you said he was 2012, so eight years. Nine years, actually. If he's This is going to be class 21K. It's been nine years. Nine recruiting classes, and this is the first five-star since Isaiah Austin in 2012. Baylor got two commitments last week from four-star prospects, more notably Langston Love. So right now, if you go to 24-7 sports, Baylor, Scott Drew's Bears, had the number one recruiting class in the country in 2021, Norlander. Mm. How much do you think Terry Teagle, the legend, is smiling right now? I put it, listen, Scott Drew and his staff have done a great job, okay? Jerome Tang, Alvin Brooks, great, great assistant coaches there, deserving of their own head jobs uh, in the new, near future. Uh, but at least at least 16.34% of this has got to be on Terry Teagle's shoulders, okay? 
decades in the making there. Baylor kids, number kids grow up saying, I want to be the next Terry Teagle. And when you when you say, okay, well, what's the best path to do that? Go to Baylor where Terry Teagle starred. That's right. You know, they they don't have nearly enough Terry Teagle signage in the facility. We actually get we should we should group text and harass Scott Drew about that. Get that get that done. Um, all right, so they're number one right now, which is a great achievement. It it's unlikely to finish that way. Right, because Duke and Kentucky sweep in at well, the end. And then Michigan State's obviously on the come there as well. But uh, Baylor's g- g- almost certainly going to be top ten and really does still have a chance at, uh, at top five status here. And I will have a piece later for the listeners. I'll have a piece later in the week. I believe it's going to go up Wednesday on Baylor, but also the Big 12 in general and how it's after a, a slight step back a season ago, it's set up to be good this upcoming season. And then again, when you look at this class with Baylor and, and others that are forming the Big 12, uh, even the year after that. But mighty impressive for Scott Drew to be able to do this. I mean, if you're a Baylor fan or if you're a fan of any team in the Big 12 and you've kind of realized this or it's been kind of on your periphery, I'll try and crystallize it just a little bit for you. Here's where you're at, okay, with Baylor. Coming off arguably the best season in program history, and there's a lot of accomplishments, facts to back that up even without a postseason go of it in the league or in the NCAA tournament for Baylor. Just look at what the regular season did. Like, really could make the case last season was the best in the history of the program. You were set up to be... I think universally recognized as a top three or four team heading into next season, particularly if Jared Butler and Macy Oteague return. I expect both will. So you got that. And then Scott Drew lands what could be his best overall class ever and sets up Baylor yet again to be uh, number one, number two in the Big 12 the season after that. And not just that, GP, but we don't know timelines and all this stuff. One other thought came to my mind with this. Can you guess what other thought came to my mind when this news broke today? What other thing related to all this and how it might help Baylor? The only thing that pops into my mind ever is Terry Teagle. Okay. Well, that's not true. That's not true as it pertains to my thoughts. My other thought is Kansas is going to get hit eventually. Yeah. So it could be a situation with where for not just next season, but potentially the season after that, depending on – if and how long a suspension is doled out to Bill Self, a postseason ban, and how long that could be doled out to Kansas. Potentially, okay, Baylor could be in position here to be atop the league for one one or two years, maybe even longer. And that just has not been the case, period, for a multi-year existence since Bill Self came into the league. And really, if you go back to when Roy Williams was there, the idea of a non-Kansas school holding the throne atop Big 12 Mountain for two straight years, maybe even three straight years. I mean, that's something that hasn't happened literally uh, for more than two, three decades there. And Baylor is now positioned itself to potentially allow for that. Kansas fans don't freak out. Okay, this, just a, this is what it is, and we'll, we'll wait and see if Kansas actually can be uh, dethroned with all that stuff. It is by far the strongest and best conference in that league, uh, program in that conference, but Baylor and Scott Drew have, uh, have really pulled off something pretty amazing here and have done so without even the benefit of a of a boost gp with the 2020 ncaa tournament appearance no i think that's a fair assessment like kansas is going to go through it eventually i think now, obviously kansas is is going to fight this i mean they are fighting it you know i uh you know i i know bill self is ready to go down swinging if he's going to go down like they're not going to sit and take this so it is possible that they beat it uh we we should never rule that out it is more likely that they don't and that they face penalties an NCAA tournament ban 
um, a coach suspension, and it really does open the door for somebody else to move to the top of the Big 12 for more than just a random fluky year. Um, and obviously, Baylor is one of those teams. I think Texas Tech with Chris Beard is another team that could do it. And Shaka Smart's got a team heading into next season that's got a chance to do it as well. So, you know, as you know, the Big 12 has consistently been one of the top two leagues in the country forever. Um, more often than not, I think, number one at Ken Palm. Um, but, but, you know, it, it, it stays strong now because Texas Tech's operating at a high level. You know, Shaka's got Texas in a good place right now. And Baylor, you know, to just run through it, made five of the past six NCAA tournaments, ranked number one in last season, set a record for consecutive big, uh, consecutive wins by a Big 12 team, finished number three at Ken Palm. I've got them number two in the top 25 and one, and they've got the number one class in 2021. That is a pretty impressive run for Scott Drew. One question for you before we get – actually, I got, a, I got a fun thing after this, but one more question on this. Uh, I have an on-the-record reply from Scott Drew from earlier this year when I went to that trip about this, um, but before I give it, I want to ask you – what your guess is here. Does Scott Drew finish his head coaching career as the coach of Baylor? Yes. And I didn't think he would maybe, I don't know. There was a time where I thought he might not, you know, he was a candidate for the Memphis job when Josh Pastner got it. That's right. Um, he, he ultimately, you know, didn't want it, but like, I know he thought about it and ultimately decided, like, you know, don't run away from a good thing. Like, they should build a statue of Scott Drew at Baylor. He has been amazing. And I'm just – I don't know that he'll be – I don't know that he would get – he'll be offered the type of job that actually makes you want to leave what seems like just the perfect place for him. Right. Butler's his alma mater, and I don't think it's inconceivable uh, that, you know, uh, five, seven, ten years from now, if things align a certain way, that he wouldn't leave. What what Drew told me earlier this year was he did not say yes for sure. He definitely said, you know, I'll never – I'll never say that I'll be here forever because I don't know what the future is going to hold there. It was honest and diplomatic at the same time, but I do side with you. And I, I, I don't know. It just, it's, he, he has built something there that is special and it's not in, in, it's obviously not inconceivable or unthinkable that he would ever leave, but I don't think that will be the case. I think that he's got another good 15 years in him as a head coach. And I think that he is going to build out something there at, Baylor and uh, and finish and if he's able to keep this going like barring supreme success to the point where literally one of like the eight to ten best jobs in the country call come calling for you I'm not convinced that he would leave it because he's been able to do this even overcoming uh, what I believe is either the ninth or tenth lowest men's basketball operating budget in the Big 12 okay um, I got something for you hmm. what what did we talk about in the last podcast you don't remember you got no idea um, Musa Sisa? Well, yeah, but that wasn't it. Remember, Coach Cal, Coach Nick Cal, remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I got some names for you. Okay. Oh, okay. I didn't know if you looked this up. I never thought about it again after I said I it. know. Well, you know what? I had some time. What, what do you want from me? Conzo Martin at Tennessee Martin. <laughs> that would be good. Will Brown at Brown. Albany Coach That'd Will be- Brown. Jawan Howard at Howard. How did uh-huh. we not know that in the moment? <laughs> His assistant. I got a couple assistants on here. Assistant Saudi Washington. If you know at Washington, Coach the Huskies. I'm not trying to push Hop out, but I'm just saying Saudi Washington, Washington. It was it was a rough season last season. Norm Roberts, Oral Roberts, <laughs> not even and, and not even that far away. By the way, former and by the way, Norm Roberts works for Bill Self. Bill Self previously worked at Oral Roberts. Now the spelling is the same. The pronunciation, the uh, the phonetics are not. Bruce Weber at Weber State. 
<laughs> King Rice at Rice. at Rice. And then another one, Greg Marshall at Marshall. Yes. Greg Marshall at Marshall. That actually, let's see, like, he's way too successful to ever get that job again or to take a job like that again. But that actually actually see him thriving. And then last one, Jay Wright, Wright State. I, I I I love them all, and I appreciate the effort. Like you put real, you you. That's well, not real effort. I just it was just a quick. I scanned through Ken Palm, and I was like, all right, which of these coaches have last names that match up with the schools? And these still, are the I, ones. I, I I still think the best one's Coach Cal, at Cal, because it'd be like, um, oh, uh, excuse me. So what's your name, Coach Cal? What do you do, Coach, Coach Cal? Cal. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, right? What it do is you good. So what do you do? What do you do, Coach Cal? So what's your name, Coach Cal? It's mm. a little bit like who's on first. I know. Most realistic of the ones I gave. Gonzo Martin, Tennessee Martin, no. Will Brown at Brown, conceivable. Javon Howard at Howard, no. Saudi Washington at Washington, conceivable. Maybe one day. Norm Roberts at Oral Roberts. I can see that. Maybe, maybe. Bruce Weber at Weber State, not going to happen. King Rice at Rice, I don't think so. Greg Marshall Marshall, no. Jay Wright Rice at now. It, it might be Saudi Washington at Washington. What if Jay Wright did end up at Wright State? He wins his third national title in a six-year span, and then he's like, you know what? It's been, it's been a good run, but I'd like to coach at a place named after me. Yeah, Scott Nagy, you got to get out of there. <laughs> get out of here. Jay Wright coaching at Wright State. It'd be, it'd be humble and egotistical all at once. I'd love it. So, Anyway, um, yeah, give the shots so we can get out of here. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. F. Teagle. Legend. Number one class of 2021. Shouts to Larnell. And please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. You can do it wherever you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. Can't thank you enough for listening. Um, in the offseason, in the middle of a pandemic. We don't take that for granted. So thank you for being here. And we'll talk to you again real, real soon. Till then. <laughs>